welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Jeff Onan. And Jeff, oh boy, we are rolling in the money today because I called up my good friend Bob Iger, you know, and uh, I said, Bob, how can I get some tasty promotional money for doing an episode about mermaids uh, right when your new big budget live action remake of The Little Mermaid is hitting theaters? And Bob said, I don't have the money in the, in the budget. Uh, Disney Plus, you know, people aren't subscribing enough. Uh, people haven't been attending our parks enough. And I said, what if you laid off thousands of people? And he said, well, then I might free up some money to uh, back up the dump truck full of cash to the DK Vine offices. And I said, Bob, you do it. And I'll make a conversation episode. So here we are, Jeff. Here we are. Here, uh, you know what? I, I'm going to be honest with you right yeah. up front. I am exhausted. <laughs> I have had the worst, not like terrible, but uh, just like constantly bad for months feelings. And I'm just tired. I'm real tired. So this is going to be a real good. Ep- I had I I ate hot dogs three meals in a row this past three day three three days in a row. I had and then also tonight. I had Taco Bell for dinner. That was oh, after no. three days of hot dogs in a row. I don't care about my beehole at all. <laughs> it doesn't. I said I want to have this. I don't care what happens to my beehole at all. It's I'm tired. It's been a lot. But today, you know, we're doing this the mermaid episode of the Donkey Kong podcast. I was yeah. I had to tell my family they like, what are you in such a hurry for? I, said, I gotta I gotta go record the mermaid episode of the Donkey Kong podcast, but. I, I was actually by the water today. I had to launch a dock. I had to install a dock on a lake. This is a f- fucking hard job. It's a 48-foot dock in four sections. And I, I, the muck and the weeds, you know, the weeds and the muck and what not. And I didn't even see any mermaids or anything good. Maybe I saw one mole and some birds. No mermaids. So, anyway, all week long, I was kind of not interested in this. We were supposed to do this Wednesday. I said, I don't even want to do it because I'm so busy and tired. And then today, I was like, man, I got to do this. I'm, I, uh, I don't. And then somewhere along the way, right around my second Dorito Loco Taco, I was like, you know, I'm kind of excited to talk to my friend Heil. I haven't talked yeah. to him in a minute. And I'm excited to talk to Heil about mermaids on the donkey kong podcast and now i'm here and i'm actually feeling it i'm i'm ready to go uh, a lot of people might be out there wondering Heil, you stupid asshole why are you doing an episode about mermaids on the donkey kong podcast as jeff so eloquently puts it jeff you're a great brand ambassador you really help spread the word i, I like to cut here. right to the quick yeah yeah so you're like hi i've done the math i've crunched the numbers there's only one mermaid in all of Donkey Kong. Uh, and you're doing a whole bestiary episode on that? The last episode of you did like that was with Jinjos, with our good friend Malik. Don't say bestiary like it's so casual and normal. Don't don't, don't act like that's not some nonsense. Don't. <laughs> it's vernacular I have coined, and we're going to make it happen, damn it. <laughs> no, but people out there who, especially people who might have discovered our lovely little podcast, our homely little slice of entertainment, 
around the time of the Super Mario Brothers movie, and they're like, well, I didn't know there's a whole podcast dedicated to Donkey Kong. Finally, I found my people. And then, you know, they tune in this week, and they're like, really? Uh, because, yeah, if you just follow it just squarely, instantly on Donkey Kong, yeah, there's one mermaid in Donkey Kong 64. Uh, here's the thing, though. In the entire shared Rare universe, there, there's like three or four mermaids. And there's a lot of lore <laughs> behind them. And we are going to stitch it all together and try to make sense of all of the contradictions and confusing aspects of merfolk in the Donkey Kong universe. And that's what we're doing on this episode. That's what we're doing. But before we do that, we got to tell you, DK Vine is on Patreon. It is. I know I just made a big deal about my friend Bob Iger firing a bunch of people to give us promotional money to do this episode. Uh, the, the truth is, though, Bob Iger is kind of cheap. He's uh, cutting corners left and right at Walt Disney. And he's not giving me the dump truck full of cash I asked for. It's more of a Tonka truck full of cash. So we still need our patrons. <laughs> so if you, if you head to patreon.com forward slash DK Vine, if you like the work we do, I always say this, Jeff, but it's true. If you like the work we do, we put in the time, we put in the hard yards, and uh, we sweat for you with uh, Donkey Kong journalism and entertainment and analysis. And if you like that, then hey, you know, uh, send some Tonka trucks full of cash our way via Patreon. I would tell you what, yesterday I was driving down to the road because I w- went to a ball game. I went to a ball game yesterday. Yeah. It's also where I had some hot dogs. It was part of the hot dog thing from before. Just a callback. Anyway, I was driving down the road and right in front of me is a Brinks truck. I thought at first it, well, it might have been an ambulance. Then I got up and I'm like, whoa, this is a Brinks truck. You know, Brinks is the truck that carries the money. I know. And uh, the traffic was tight and, and moving quick, but like you know, and so I was kind of riding his ass, and I'm thinking like, I don't think you're supposed to ride the rear end uh, too tight on a on a Brinks truck. I don't think I ever drove behind a Brinks truck before. And I'm about a couple minutes into it, and that little window on the back door, like they slid it open, like a like a doorman peeking out the hidden cap door thing. Like he slid a little window open and like like I couldn't see eyeballs, but somebody slid a little window open and like was looking out at me like they were the doorman, like they were judging whether I was trying to rob the Brinks truck. And so I got I just was like, I got to go to the other lane. I don't want to be in this lane. I don't want to be with this Brinks truck. But if you go to Patreon.com, you could back up a Brinks truck to our door. When I say our, I mean, Heil, I don't get paid for this. But the thing is, if we get enough money, I'll start paying Jeff. That's the thing. That's what's at stake here. Jeff's got to eat more than <laughs> hot dogs. And that would be so nice. I live in his shoe. <laughs> I've been saying this, Jeff. I've been saying I, I've uh, I've done the math, just like you all did the math with mermaids in Donkey Kong, and you said there's only one. And I've done the math. If I get two grand per month from all the patrons. Uh, I can dedicate myself full-time to DK Vine, and I can start spreading that money around in very positive ways. So all all I'm saying is, uh, consider it if you want well, more five-star Donkey Kong entertainment like there, this. 
Is there another way if someone was like, I want to give money to DKVine.com, but I hate Patreon for no reason? Well, is there any other way they could give money to DKVine.com? Well, if you hate Patreon, but you love t-shirts, you could always head to our merchandise store on TeePublic. You can find us at DKVine.com forward slash merchandise or just by searching DKVine on TeePublic. Jeff, we got some great shirts, let me tell you. We, we have some great shirts, and we also have more shirts. <laughs> we have a wide selection of top shelf shirts, and then shelf uh, shirts you buy as a gag gift for somebody you don't really like that much. Right, like yourself. <laughs> so, you know, th- this episode is about uh, merfolk. Here's the great thing about our shirts. Uh, they also fit fish people. Because we yeah. we don't sell the bottoms, we we keep That's the true. we keep the fish people in mind at our merchandise store. So you're just getting the tops. I'm kind of a fat kid, so I do wear the shirt in the pool. I wear, I'll wear a shirt in the pool. Kind of a fat kid thing. I'll do it. And you could you could imagine you're just a lovely mer person out for a swim. Just duct tape my legs together. Let's go. So we don't have any mer people uh, t-shirts available on our merchandise store yet. Yet. But you want to bookmark that just in case. <laughs> so <laughs> have at it. Have at it. DKVine.com forward slash merchandise. And hey, Jeff, I got some good news for you. Finally. Yeah, so we're recording this on Memorial Day weekend here in the United States, which is considered the unofficial start of summer. Uh, however, DKVine, uh, we have to be contrary assholes and we like to consider the uh, start of summer to be E3. Now, unfortunately, E3 is dead, but we're still timing it for the week that E3 would have been held, which, hey, you know, props to Phil Spencer, uh, my second best friend, Phil Spencer. Uh, they're having the Xbox and Bethesda big, big live event on Sunday, June 11th. So uh, they're, they're still trying to keep that spirit alive. I don't know what the hell Nintendo's doing, but... Uh, our good friend, my second best friend, Phil Spencer, is uh, is trying to keep the dream alive, and we at DK Vine will try to keep the dream alive. We are kicking off our second Stinky Ape Summer that weekend, and uh, I'm calling it Stinky Ape Summer Number Two, PU, and PU is spelled like Wii U, but with a P, and I think that's very clever. And I thought I I, I it took me a couple of weeks to think of that. But hey, it, it, when he says it took a couple of weeks, he doesn't mean idly. He means like he sat and thought and it, it, he logged the work hours. It, and after about eight hours a day for two work weeks of thinking, that's where, where it came out. And it was worth it. It it's was good. I still haven't gotten the form fixed. But hey, <laughs> Stinky Ape Summer number two. P.U. No, it's going to be really great. We're going to have a lot, lots of fun content coming your way all June, July, August into early September long. I'm excited. I, this is the first time hearing of it. Yeah, I haven't I haven't discussed it with any of you yet. Uh, you don't get paid enough for me to discuss this with you. I don't pay you yeah. anything. You eat hot dogs. You're going to tell me tomorrow what my what my next job is going to be, and I, I'll have to learn on the go. So, yes, uh, we did Stinky Ape Summer last year. 
went pretty well. We're doing it again. So this is going to be all summer long. We're going to have lots of events from not E3 all the way to Talk Like a Pirate Day. We got some interviews for the conversation. We got a lot of great anniversary spotlights and other things coming up. 25th anniversary of Banjo-Kazooie. 20th anniversary of, oh yeah, that's right, Mario Golf Total Tour and more. Uh, we're we're going to just be cranking out the quality content. We're going to keep you cool during the hot months. And if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, we're going to keep you warm during the cold months. So uh, get ready. Stinky Ape Summer number 2, PU, will be kicking off the weekend of June 11th. And before we launch into this, Jeff, we got a phone call we got to take. And on the telephone? From the telephone. So we have a hotline. It's called the DK Vine hotline. People don't realize that you can call anytime, anytime at all, whatsoever, at 1 202 630 Vine 8463. Call us up. Leave us your thoughts. Goes to the DK Vine hotline. Don't worry. I'm not answering the phone. I'm not like, hello. How are you? That's creepy. I'm not a creep. But he's not. You're not going to get Adrienne Barbo on the other line talking to you sultry like you're just going to go to a message machine where you can leave your message. <laughs> Adrienne Barbo, how old are you, Jeff? <laughs> I really like John Carpenter movies. I <laughs> Hitting me with the Adrienne Barbo reference she's, she's so early. She's she's still sultry even today. She's she you know, I, what can you do? Uh, we, we really resonate with Gen Z, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Google it. Ask your dad. I don't know. Ask your grandpa, maybe. Just fuck off. That's what your grandpa masturbated to back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the house. He can't, we can't talk. We can't talk about it. Oh, yeah. Jeff's famous conversation Noted character, Jeff's grandpa. Jeff's grandpa's around still. <laughs> so. He outlasted Tina Turner. Oh, no. Oh, uh, speaking of vintage, sultry ones, yeah, R.I.P. Tina Turner. Anyway, you can call the DK Van Hotline and leave us a message about your thoughts on the Donkey Kong universe, as our next caller, and our only caller on this episode, did. Jeff, why don't we go ahead and play this call so we can get into the merfolk of the Donkey Kong universe? Why don't we? Let's roll it. Kyle, it's great to call in. I always love hearing your sweet, sultry voice. And Jeff, moaning, boning, owning, I think you were calling one episode. Jeff, I hope you're doing well. You're looking great as always. Listen, this is a Jeff question, Kyle. I'm sorry. I want to give Jeff a little bit of, a little bit of spotlight. So, the last episode I think you were on, oh, that's right, that's a lie. Never mind. But, uh, I was listening to your, your bones episode. It was the other day, right? Uh, Jeff's self-labeled top 10 DKU bones. It's all the bone wars. Jeff, I need to ask, do we need to worry about, you know, mayor people? Are we going to have to worry about an uprising for both? Because I've been, I've been warning my friends and family who have all since isolated me because I wouldn't shut up about the bone wars. And I, and I need to know if I need to warn people. So, so please tell me. Also, Jeff, uh, I need your top, uh, 100 mayor people, uh, 200 if you're feeling 
spicy, um, please do that for me. All right, bye. This is Traveler of the Stars, by the way. I, I, didn't, I didn't say that. Uh, well, well, thank you for the call, Traveler of the Stars. Traveler of the Stars says, I have a sultry voice, just like Adrian Barbeau. Yeah, you're you're sort of in the Barbeau uh, field of, of voices. I would say that. I, first of all, I want to say, this is a great phone call. This is a good telephone call. <laughs> um, what, under 90 seconds? Yeah. Come on, people. Let's. That's great. Let's keep it that way. You know, we don't have to ramble. If we're going to, if you're going to ask us a question on a call, we're going to spend five minutes talking about it. Your call doesn't have to be five minutes, right? To be so, fair, yeah, we, we set a bad a precedent like for our for our listeners when they call them because they think, oh, I'm supposed to talk about nonsense for way too long. We don't set it. Um, you 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 do, don't we? But here's the question: What uh-huh. was it? I can't I cannot remember what the question. Uh, was. Top two hundred mer, mer mer people. Well, t- no, actually, I think they said mayor people, and I so I'll, I'll tell you my number one probably mayor people. Uh, Pauline, mayor of New Donk City, God. I guess uh, Kwame, uh, De Blasio. These are mayors I've heard of. I don't know if they're good. <laughs> I haven't done I haven't done the research. The other question was about the Bone Wars. Do I have to notify the family of? Of the deceased or whatever the question was. No, um, I don't remember the Bone episode. That that already happened. You, you can listen to it and tell me what I said, but I don't know what I said. It's something. I'll tell you this right now. Don't be afraid of merfolk. They're stuck in ocean. You can leave. This is what I say a lot about the shark movies. I watch so many shark movies. And I'll tell you one thing right now. The people in the shark movie have the option to leave, and they don't. Just don't be on the ocean. Just don't be on the ocean. Just go. You have a car. The shark won't get you at your house. The sharks don't get you at your house. Same with the merfolk. Don't be afraid. That's the end of the call. Thanks for calling. Wise words, Jeff, as always. Thank you for the call, Traveler of the Stars. So, yeah, we're doing uh, a bistrary. You're going to have to deal with that, Jeff. On bistrary. On merfolk, which, you know, uh, unlike Jinjos, where you can say, oh, yeah, all, all, all my Jinjo friends, like Jinjinator and, and King Jingling and the rest, uh, you really can't say that with, with merfolk because they never played a terribly large role in the Donkey Kong universe until admittedly... Sea of Thieves, but I, I think it's somewhat apropos for their real-world mythic stature, because uh, they've always just been under the surface of the DKU, we just couldn't see them. So, as I said, the first mer- merfolk, uh, a mermaid, appeared chronologically in 1999's Donkey Kong 64. I guess chronologically as far as uh, the real-world timeline of releases goes. You mean yeah, release order, not yeah, chronological yeah, yeah. order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but to understand that mermaid, to, re- to really get her uh, and her people, <laughs> we need to go back <laughs> in time. And by that, uh, I do mean chronologically. In the timeline of the DKU, we need to go way back. And I think first we need to actually break down the mermaids of our real world folklore and how they relate 
to the sirens of our real-world folklore because they are linked, the two of them. But it's, it's, it's actually a very complicated thing. I don't know how much research you've done, Jeff, on, uh, on, on merfolk, mermaids, and sirens as far as, like, the real-world, like, origin point of them in folklore goes. I've done enough. I've watched the History Channel, and sometimes... At some point in my lifetime, the History Channel stopped being about, like, events. Yeah. And then it started being about whether or not there was a Murph made um, or an ancient alien. So right. I've seen, I've seen, prog- I've seen the programs, and I know all about it. So, yeah, and, and, you know, usually the History Channel just come down on the side of, well, what if there were mermaids, but they were aliens? That's usually, that's usually what they, what they come to. But... We're not going to do that. We're, we're just going to look at uh, dusty old books. And this is what I found out when I was doing research for this episode, Jeff. Sirens actually predate mermaids in folklore. But they would later be, I guess, gobbled up by their predecessor. It's sort of like how the Donkey Kong series came first. But, you know, the other month on Saturday Night Live, Colin Joe's called Funky Kong a Mario Universe character. It's sort of like that with Sirens and Mermaids. Yeah, that's true. Sirens actually go all the way back to um, the Odyssey, the, the the ancient epics and everything. Yeah, Homer. Um, yeah, yeah. Ho- uh, Homer. Homer uh, first reference Sirens uh, is, is actually the first documented like, reference to them anywhere was in the Odyssey. But he provided no physical description, like didn't describe what they looked like other than they were alluring ladies uh, hanging out on the rocks, you know. Uh, But it was in the 3rd century BC that Apollonius of Rhodes described them, not as fish people, Jeff, as you might assume, but as bird people. Bird people? Yeah, head of a human woman, body of a bird. And if you're like me, if if you've got the the sickness like I do, of course the thing that comes to mind when you hear this vintage description of Sirens is Banjo-Tooie character Canary Mary. Right, because she was so um, alluring. <laughs> right, right. I, I would wreck myself on the rocks for her. Uh the voice like Adrian Barbeau and and the body <laughs> body of an old bird woman <laughs> just calling out over the <laughs> over the waves yeah now this was the most popular depiction of sirens in the 3rd century BC but there were some depictions around that time less prevalent but nonetheless still there of sirens as fish people uh women with the like the lower body of a fish. And this was found on things like pottery and lamps. And um, so, so even then people were toying with the idea, well, bro, what's hotter birds or fish. And some people come down on the side of fish and be like, yeah, yeah, I would totally do a fish lady. This is with the way they talked back then. Very unenlightened time. Yeah. And then, that you know, o- others were very committed to the bird thing. Um, so, This was the status quo for centuries. It wouldn't really be until the 8th century AD that the 
fishy depiction of sirens sort of uh, took off. It sort of became the widespread, favored, preferred depiction. It's interesting. I I, I think it's more... Whatever the widespread story is originated basically because if you're sailing around on a boat or ship, if you see fish or or things, you are going to be horny. So you're going to imagine, what if that fish was a hot lady? Right. Well, and then, yeah, I mean, I mean, yes, that that is true. That that is absolutely true. But I also think especially once we get into the medieval era, a lot of this is institutionalized misogyny in the church and thinking, oh, you know, what what would lead a man to ruin? Oh, a woman and her wily ways, just like Eve forced Adam to eat the apple. And and, uh, you know, I don't know why it has to be a fish. But you know, uh, yeah, just just as as a metaphor uh, that people really started to build up sirens again. Uh, you know, e- even beyond the era of Homer and ancient Greece, it it really became popular again in the medieval era. And as you said, you know, the mythology of mermaids sort of developed. I mean, I mean, they were always. Um, sort of intertwined with the people who thought that birds weren't as hot as fish, but mermaids as a concept separate from sirens originated most likely from the lonely sailors spotting things like manatees or seals. And they only catch a glimpse of that shiny like tail-like body. And, you know, they're, they're lonely, they're out at sea, and their horny, horny imaginations run amok. Uh, and, uh, you know, just fill in the blanks from there. Well, I mean, I, I saw the tail, so imagine what the top looks like, bro. It's been hypothesized that mermaids, or uh, tritonesses, as they were commonly known back in antiquity, uh, were actually imported to uh, Greek and Roman mythology from the Middle East. This is probably where the concept of mermaids themselves originated. And there's even a fish-bodied goddess worshipped in uh, Ashkelon that's associated with a Targatus, a fertility goddess, and the chief goddess of northern Syria around that time. Bet you didn't know that, Jeff. I I did not know that. Yeah. This, this is new. We're doing a History Channel episode here on the Conversation Donkey Kong podcast. We've got more history on the Donkey Kong podcast than the History Channel has on the History Channel. Yeah, it's mostly just like a lobster boat these days or something. (laughs) And of course, the Greek god Triton, who was the son of Poseidon, later um, Neptune, when when the Romans took over the mythology, uh, Triton was often depicted with a fishtail, and that has carried through into things like Walt Disney Pictures, The Little Mermaid, in theaters now. So in 1493, certifiable piece of shit Christopher Columbus was sailing off. Whoa, look. All right. We're not going to sugarcoat the history here. Look, I'm I'm not I'm not pro harry potter but like what he directed the movie he didn't, he's not he's not he's not 
viable for JK's thoughts politically. All right. All right. But let's be fair. Christopher Columbus directed the worst two Harry Potter movies by far. Is that is that the is that the what the people think? I don't not know that. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Let us know. Please email us at dkvine.com forward slash email us, and <laughs> then let us know what you think of the worst address. Harry Potter movies. Uh-huh. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Columbus, the one from 1493, he was uh, sailing off the coast of Hispaniola, and he claimed to have spotted three mermaids or three sirens. He wasn't sure himself. Uh, but was disappointed. And I'm not making this up. This this is actually what he wrote. He was disappointed they weren't as beautiful as foretold by literature. He he said they were far more masculine than he anticipated. They they had big mustaches and stuff like a <laughs> fucking walrus. So was Christopher Columbus having sex with manatees? I think that we could probably surmise definitely yes. Yeah. He he if he if not sex, then definitely fucking. <laughs> well, okay. Okay. I wasn't saying like a romantic candlelit dinner that led to <laughs> voracious lovemaking. Like I, he did he did not make love with manatees, Hyle. Let's be real. Okay. It was purely for the 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 physicality of the of the of the act right and and the thing is that Christopher Columbus is, is historical garbage these days for numerous reasons but nobody ever brings up what he might have done with the manatees right well but he was a, a man a human man with human needs and had to have sex with a manatee we've all been there I speak for yourself Jeff I uh. You know, there's this wonderful invention called the flesh. Anyway, Christopher Columbus didn't have that, so I, I, I don't know. But anyway, that's your primer. That's that's your real-world primer on mermaids and sirens and why people often conflate the two. If that's what is the real-life folklore, then what is it in the DKU? <laughs> well, so it turns out in the DKU, uh, they're not just manatees. That there, there are actually fish people. Don't worry. Don't worry. This isn't as gross as Christopher Columbus sailing the ocean blue. Um, the ocean wasn't the only thing blue, hence what he did with the manatees. Balls. Yeah. That was the implication that I was going for without wanting to say it. But in the DKU, the merfolk, basically, uh, most of the merfolk lore is, is essentially... Uh, it's in Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves is the merfolk game. Donkey Kong 64 has the merfolk on it, but, you know, the the story, the background, it all goes back to Sea of Thieves, basically. Yeah, so Sea of Thieves really uh, fleshed it out. And we, we know that it's quite likely that the origin point for all merfolk across the globe started in the Sea of Thieves, the area we now know as the Sea of Thieves, within the Devil's Shroud, you know. And and some probably crossed the shroud uh, over time and, and spread out into the waters of the Atlantic Ocean and Mediterranean Sea and inspired Homer and, and others. But, uh, they, like I said, they actually exist in the DKU. So uh, get your mind out of the gutter right now. And, and They're real. You can actually do stuff with them. <laughs> I mean... Sure, but therein lies the path to ruin, as as we may come to learn here. So, 
the the thing about merfolk society that is essential to understand them is you know in the disney movies nothing wrong with this but they sing their little songs under the sea and, and what have you um but the merfolk society thrives on song in the dku entirely it is a constant drone that sort of acts as a form of uh, echolocation for them but it's also a continual oral history of their people and their society. Uh, Non-merfolk ordinarily can't decipher the song. They don't understand it, but are nonetheless attracted to its beauty. That's right. And they've been around for thousands of years, the merfolk in the Sea of Thieves. Actually, all the way back when there were ancient peoples, that is commonly referred to as the ancients, mm. um, coexisted with the merfolk. Uh, they were able to commune with each other and share knowledge and, and um, magic and things like that. Because the merfolk uh, know how to do magic. Yeah, and that's important. Merfolk were one of the very earliest practitioners of uh, the, the hoodoo, the, the alakazam, the, uh, what, what was it, Harry Potter, the... the Patronus Dumbledore. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I don't really know a lot about Harry Potter. I have to be honest, Jeff. But they, uh, the, the Merfolk, were were quite skilled at it, and they brought that knowledge, like uh, Prometheus, to the ancients. And they were like, "This is how you do curses. Ooh, this is how you do uh, enchantments and, and what have you." So. The Merfolk created these huge underwater structures uh, made out of coral, and they used these to commune with the ancients, kind of like a meeting place, right? This is like this is where we're going to meet halfway when we want to have our little chats. And uh, so the ancients would come down here. The, the Merfolk would meet them there, and these would serve various functions, um, both in their like spirituality. And also with the ancients. And these structures are referred to by the pirates sailing at the time of the game, Sea of Thieves, as the Sunken Kingdom. Yeah, that's right. The Sunken Kingdom, which is is cool. Um, There was, at one point in that history, a pretty defining moment, actually, though. Because the there there was originally, in the Sea of Thieves lore and in the DKU lore, there was originally just merfolk. Uh, and yeah. humans and other things, but there was not sirens. But there was this moment that when uh, the merfolks and the ancients were working together and, and and communing with each other as a, two societies, where the queen of the merfolk uh, fell in love with an ancient, with a human. It's kind of like. Um, uh, What's that thing that we're plugging? You t- you tell it. It's kind of like uh, the mermaid, the little mermaid, Ariel, and of course the dreamboat Prince Eric. In Walt Disney Pictures' new live-action smash hit, The Little Mermaid. Jeff, what a great film to see with the entire family. Bring the kids, bring the grandparents. We just got $4. Um <laughs> So, yeah, so the Queen of the Merfolk, she fell in love with a ancient warrior, a, a noted warrior in the ancient society, um, and they wanted to be able to do stuff 
Um, I guess <laughs> I, I guess the fittings don't work. I don't I mean, know, but I they mean, were you like still do like mouth stuff. Yeah, hands, mouths. What? But apparently they're like, no, well, you can't even swim or whatever. Let's I, I think this. I think it went beyond sex. I think I think Jeff, we're we're just far too. Well, I didn't say sex. I said stuff. Okay. Okay. You know, they wanted to do stuff like live together yeah, yes. forever. Their their connection was far more than just physical uh, lust. Right. That's under the that's under the umbrella of stuff. Okay. I'm just clarifying though. This wasn't just they wanted they wanted to uh, start an OnlyFans where they. Uh, they did exhibition stuff with each other. Tail, tail play. Yeah, they they wanted to just be together at all times. And of course, one was a surface dweller. One had to live beneath the waves. They couldn't really make that work all the time. So they thought, wouldn't it be swell? And this is kind of a reverse Little Mermaid. Because, you know, with the Little Mermaid, uh, what, what she wanted to oh, do was yeah. become... She wanted a, leggies. She wanted legs. And uh, there's something about a sea, the sea witch, Melissa McCarthy, who, who said, like, I'll give you legs, but I'll take away your voice. Uh, that's weird. But, you know, she wanted to become a human. She was like, I'm tired of being the fish girl. I want to be a human girl and marry this rich guy. No legs. This is mad. No legs. But because in, in the, uh, the, the Sea of Thieves backstory, this DKU backstory here... Uh, it was a reverse power dynamic. The Sea Queen was the rich and powerful one. This guy was just a, a grunt. He was just a, he was a fierce warrior, exalted, but a warrior nonetheless. And so he was like, yeah, I want to live in that underwater palace. I want to sit on a throne. I, I want to marry rich and, and retire. But the only way I can do that is to become a merfolk. Right, that's really the root of the start of the problems, the bad times. Yeah. They they did a ritual, they did some magic, as we discussed, they know how to do magic. They tried, it was wrong to do, it was against the rules, the royal laws and, and, and sacred rules of the, of the society. So they transformed the warrior, the ancient human, into a merman, uh, using a mermaid gem, which are these magical objects that are imbued with magical energy yeah uh but the ritual it didn't work it's it it worked but it did not it had side effects it had after effects bad bad news stuff and basically the queen the 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 warrior the queen all and all of her royal entourage all of her buddies they all suffered a curse and they were stripped of the merfolk song which is what you said before. The song is their whole like shared history and culture and everything. It's like what makes you who you are. It's part of the merfolk society. They lost it, and that is essentially is like a disease that they contracted. They call the whispering plague, where they lost their song. Yeah, yeah. You you can't sing with lobsters. You can't sing with flounders. That's from the uh, Disney movie. Yeah. Yeah, you, you 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 can't do it. And then if you don't have a a soundtrack, how are people going to buy the uh, the vinyl? They can't do it. So the whispering plague uh, became this this huge epidemic, sort of like uh, COVID. Remember that when it, it spread through Merfolk society and it stripped them 
of their ability to sing, basically separating them from the rest of merfolk society who didn't contract the Whispery Plague. So basically, you're just cut off from your people. You can no longer communicate with them. You're, you're, you're just like left cold and dead inside. And it, caused, and it mutates. Yeah, it, it causes it, a yeah, total mutation. A physical mutation where they actually became more fishy-like than before. So uh, the the merfolk in the Sea of Thieves, uh, they, they they've, they've got the traditional like look of a of a mermaid or or a merman, but they've got kind of um a skin tone that can range from bluish to greenish to sometimes purplish. And they've still got like human-like facial features though. And so what the sirens basically, the, which, which is what the whispering play creates now are sirens, these mute mutated variants of merfolk. It basically turns them more into I guess to our eyes, uh, the, these hideous fish monsters. Well, you know, hideous is your word. I, I was on that team. Fish is hotter than birds, so I like them fishy. But <laughs> you know, and and this disease actually can continue to spread uh, through the uh, scratches and things. Like like one siren that scratches a merfolk, they spread the disease yeah and so it became a problem and it bent eventually they just had to completely exile and split the sirens away from the rest of merfolk society and suddenly create two divergent cultures yes um so this is this so this is where we're like pulling like together a lot of sea of thieves backstory and and it's been t- doled out in various forms over the years through the books, through things like the tall tales, and through little little adventures here or there, little little lore dumps. And Jeff, you're better at keeping track of all of this than I am, if I'm honest. Uh, I try. I, I really do try. But oftentimes when we're playing a new Sea of Thieves adventure... And and they reference something they haven't brought up in four years, and I'm just like, is, is that a thing? And you and Cameron are like, oh, they brought up, they 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 brought up old mother, and I'm like, do I remember what old mother is? So, <laughs> right. and then you explain it to me. I'm like, oh, I guess I kind of remember that. That was four years ago. What 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 happened with uh, the mer? folk siren split at this point in the timeline right so so there's some time where it is essentially developing into two cultures after an exile and separation the siren culture and the merfolk culture eventually become pretty diametrically opposed in terms of what we as the pirates who sail the seas at during the golden age of piracy uh which you know at the at the time period that the game is set in with pirates we think of of what the merfolks do and what the sirens do, they're pretty opposites because when your ship sinks, and we're going to get into this, the merfolk will restore your ship and bring Mm. it back to you because they're friendly to pirates. And uh, sirens, on the other hand, want to sink you. They want to steal your ship and then kind of 
uh, cobble it into the structures that they build in their little underwater uh, castles and citadels and things. And um, a very important divergent point is the fact that merfolks and pirates are afraid of the Kraken because the Kraken is a beast. It's a monster. It wants to kill and sink ships and smush stuff. It's always trying to smush stuff. But the Sirens, actually, during this time, uh, they worshipped the Kraken. They uh, uh, adored and, and, and praised and began to worship the Kraken and consider it a part of their religion. They, um, in fact, the Siren Queen referred to the Kraken as, uh, I think, as its daughter. Uh, but so the merfolk... And the pirates were like, Krakens are bad. We don't like Krakens. They're smushing our stuff. They make the so, stinky inky. They make that stinky inky, you know? They, you know, uh, what do they say? One in the one in the stink and seven in the ink or whatever. Um, the the pirates teamed up with the merfolk. Cause, well, not the pirates. I, I shouldn't say pirates. I should say ancients. Right. There weren't pirates Ancient- at this time. The ancient humans teamed up with the merfolk to uh, trap the kind of matriarch of the Krakens, the, the, which is referred to as Old Mother, uh, which was this just very fierce and feared beast of the sea. And it was this great moment of like societal collaboration that they were able to trap and chain the beast to make the seas safer. But this was seen by the sirens as essentially like a totally blasphemous, sacrilegious act of war. The sirens were not cool with that. They said, what the heck? And so it it started a war. The sirens, which had become a separate splinter society, uh, eventually went to war with both the merfolk and the ancients. Right. It kind of went from this Cold War, this this existing tension, this escalation to outright conflict, both uh, you know above and beneath the waves. And to get above the waves, the Sirens came up with a method, a, a method to actually wage war on the Ancients. Because as you said, you don't have to be scared uh, of, uh, of merfolk or Sirens. Just get away from the ocean. And it might be harder when you live on an island, but if you just get in the middle of the island, they can't get you. But ah, the sirens are smart and crafty, and they figured out a workaround. Yeah, that's right. So the sirens actually have a way. So we know that the sirens can affect the merfolk by transmuting the disease, the virus that they have by scratches and things. But how do they affect ancients? How do they affect human beings? Well, they use magic because sirens also have magic they are merfolk basically but they're separate but they have magic so sirens developed curses that they can do using the mermaid gems those uh magic embedded uh artifacts and and Mm -hmm. and and, and things they can actually put a curse on humans that will transform a human being directly into a siren or they can even turn you into ocean crawlers. Ocean crawlers is the name that's given to these kind of human um, sea creature hybrids. They're uh, able to walk on. Le- they have legs. They're leggy, but they're 
allied to the sirens you have like the crab one and one of them is a clam head or whatever clam head yeah point yeah yeah right they they will do the sirens bidding on land with their legs and if you think them having legs makes them even hotter than a mer person uh you'd be wrong these are the most shit hideous beings Right, and it's the tail that does it for me. <laughs> well, it's not, they're, they're not only, like, some of the ugliest, most repulsive beings in CFDs, but I would argue definitely in the top ten in the DKU, at the very least. And, and that's saying something when you consider how many poo monsters there are in the DKU. Right, that's right. And, and when you're being transformed, if you're a human, if you're ever a human... Um, I'm hoping most of our listeners are. I hope uh, but not. If you're ever, I, I hope we have no. lots of zoo animals listening to us right now. <laughs> if you are a uh, a binturong, <laughs> which is which is, I think uh, the alternate name for a bear cat. If you are a bear cat, uh, you probably don't have to worry about the sirens because they don't they don't they don't know your DNA. But if you are a human or ever a human being, and you're in the process of being transformed by a siren into a siren or into an ocean crawler, the way that's going to work for you, bad news, is you're going to go into this cocoon. There's a cocoon, cocoonal pupil <laughs> state. Is a pupil state you go into. It is sort of erroneously called the pirates of the pirate age. Refer to these as mermaid statues. Right, they but they're know. not made. They're they're not made by the mermaids. They're not made by the merfolk. They're made by the sirens. Um, you know, they don't know. They're just pirates. They just uh, looking around. They're like, hey, it looks kind of like a mermaid, but it's a statue. We'll call it a mermaid statue. They don't know. But the point is that this transformation is powered by a mermaid gem, which is at the heart of the cocoon. And if someone were to come along and destroy that cocoon, the statue, the mermaid statue, as they're called, uh, it will drop the gems. You could pick up mermaid gems from it. But if the transformation is completed, then that is the process by which someone becomes an ocean crawler or a siren. Then the gem, which was oozing all that magical energy, it's like, like oozing. Uh, It starts to embed in the heart of that creature, the siren or the ocean crawler. And it corrupts, and if you if you were to kill it, the creature, which you would do with, say, a sword or gun or weapon, uh, you you maybe you smush them, and the the gem will drop, but it will no longer be a mermaid gem. Now it's a siren gem because I think that it's sort of like when you do a nuclear process with uranium and it turns into plutonium or whatever the hell. I don't know. I'm not a chemist, but the point. <laughs> Is the gem changes and it's a new thing. That's it that's is. what the how that works. It is, and I, I have to point out Jeff because I feel like it's worthy of applause. You were were on the the trail of the mermaid statues long before the game revealed what their purpose actually was, and it was at E three twenty nineteen that we uh, we were in the audience of this little Q and A that some of the Sea of Thieves team were doing, and Mike Chapman was there. And you said, "Excuse me, Mister Chapman, I have a theory on the mermaid statues." And, and I mean, you didn't know about ocean crawlers then, or or sirens, but you basically said that they were cocoons, or or like hatcheries or whatever for uh for merfolk 
and that uh, when we were breaking them, we were actually killing them. Yeah, I did do that. Yeah, no, I actually figured it all out way early. I was just like, I was three years ahead of the game. Two years, I was two years ahead of the game, probably. And, uh, you know, I said to Mike Chapman, I should call him Mr. Chapman. He's, we're not like that close. I shouldn't just call him Mike. He's not my buddy. He, that I, he deserves respect. Um, but you know, I said to Mr. Chapman there, Mike from Sea of Thieves, uh, what if these statues are just like cocoons of pirates being transformed into merfolk? And every time we go to smush them to get gems, we're actually killing somebody. And he just said, well, that's pretty dark. It, uh, that was all he said about it. And I was like, yeah, it is dark. And then it turned out to be true. I was right. So so that, that's what I'm not clear on. So when we're breaking the mermaid statues in Sea of Thieves, are we actually killing somebody or are we setting them free? That's my my opinion is this. My opinion is this because this gets into the life and death cycle in the Sea of Thieves, which is very interesting to discuss. And separate from this, and we're not going to go into detail, but the point is that in Sea of Thieves, when you die, your soul goes to a specific place, which is called the Sea of the Damned, and then it has the option or the potentiality to be ferried back to the living by the ferryman of the Sea of the Damned, and then you get to be essentially respawned in video game terms, but in life terms, you you if you're in the Sea of Thieves, you get as many lives as you think you can get away with, in a sense. Conquer logic. Um, but the point is, in my view, if you are a human that is being transformed into a creature yeah if if a pirate comes along and smushes that statue then they are sending your soul back to the sea of the damned where you get to respawn and you get to come back as a pirate gotcha whereas yeah. it's basically breaking a process that is trapping your soul in a new form but you've if you then you've broken that process you've you've released them from a torture um, that only makes sense in Sea of Thieves because death is not the end in Sea of Thieves. In any other context, it would be basically like you're killing somebody. But in Sea of Thieves, killing somebody kind of is releasing them from their current moment of torture. Yeah. So I, I, I yeah. would I wouldn't go doing this to like uh cocoons for like moths or, or whatever. You're like, oh no, oh no, that, that caterpillar is turning into a moth. I must set it free. Uh, you're just killing it. Mm -mm. You're you're not doing no. it any favors. So so hands off. There is no garden of the damned for for moth caterpillars or whatever. That's not real. Not that we know it's... of. We don't know much about moths, Jeff and I. I've never been to the moth afterlife, but I'm just guessing that when you fucking smush one, it's gone. <laughs> or at least it's not coming back as a moth. <laughs> right. Yeah. It might. That might be somebody important. That could be uh, Tina Turner. It's reincarnation <laughs> so don't don't kill bugs they're innocent I think, I think tina turner would have a little bit if she's coming back she would have a little bit higher stature than moth i i don't know well Just i don't hard. agree with the notion that the moth is the low end of the spectrum i think they're happier than we are i think i think if a moth does really well then it can reincarnate into a pioneering rock and roll artist of the 1960s onward, sure. Yeah, with with human concerns, I don't think so. I'd <laughs> rather go... I, I think becoming moth is the top of the spectrum. This is a great tribute to the icon Tina Turner, I have to say. I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm a fan, too. So, uh, 
we, we talked a little bit about how the pirates of, of the golden age of piracy in the era of the game Sea of Thieves, they erroneously called the uh, statues mermaid statues. And that vernacular has stuck, even though we know it not to be accurate now. Be- there, there seemed to be, like, while they had no institutionalized knowledge of the sirens, when like the game Sea of Thieves started, when when all these pirates started flooding in, when uh, the the pirate lord Ramsay said, uh, "Hey, come on in, everybody, we're doing this." The the a lot of the knowledge for sirens had been lost or at least obscured to to these pirates. So uh, there was this sort of sinister superstition when it came to the merfolk that were helping the pirates that were coming in. And this is actually uh, really apparent in the lyrics to one of the in-universe shanties called The Ballad of the Myrrh. And and you can see how the history of the merfolk were conflated with the history of the sirens. Um, And and, uh, I'm not going to sing this to you, Jeff, because I'm really off-key, and I'm just a terrible terrible i'm not tina turner right uh i i can't you know belt out proud mary and do it justice and i can't do robin beanland's compositions justice either but i i can recite this to you like like an epic poem like homer's the odyssey yeah that's all i ask for i i hate music i i know you do i i know you do because the the uh the whispering plague took away your song that's what happened yeah yeah uh, don't linger in the waters where the merfolk are at play. The ocean's sons and daughters will lead our kind astray, sex-wise. Though many is the sailor who has found themselves on land after meeting with the strange myrrh that they could not understand. It seems they care for no reward, for tender ministration when we have toppled overboard. That's a great rhyme. In our inebriation. But if it's you they've chosen, they'll surround you with their kin. Your legs are bound and frozen in a wrap of silver skin. Soon you'll be understanding all that passes from their tongues. No food you'll be demanding, nor fresh air to fill your lungs. And they'll take you as their brother or their sister as they please. And you'll be just another of the merfolk in the seas. Spooky Stirring stirring stuff. stuff. Uh false. False. Merfolk are good. They were thinking about the sirens, right? Uh they but are. they didn't know that at the time. They didn't know. Because yeah, the the uh the merfolk have always been aligned with humans or wanted to be allied with humans. Uh, so, so basically what happened back in the, the ancient times was, uh, the merfolk and the ancients offered a a peace treaty of sorts with the sirens. Uh, but it turns out it was a trap. It was all a ruse. It was a filthy lie, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. They did. They did lie. It was bad. They, the siren king who was the human warrior that uh, initially, you know, they transformed into a siren 
or into a merfolk that created the whole Siren virus in the first place. It's bad news. This guy was like, we can't be at war. Those are my people. I'm, I was an ancient before. And he's, he's like, we can, we can end this war. So he went to meet to do peace, but they were tricking him. They were tricking him with tricks. And they actually used a curse magic wise to (laughs) bound his soul forever to a uh, chest, to a treasure chest. It became the chest of everlasting sorrow. And you could hear the the, the soul of him just cr- crying yeah. uh, tearfully, sorrowfully, forever, for all eternity. And his soul is essentially damped. His soul can go nowhere. It is bound to an object for eternity. And, um, uh, you know, that probably pissed off the Siren Queen quite a hefty number. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the kind of a, a shit move. Even even if you're at war, to basically take uh, your soulmate, th- this this whole mess started right because uh, they wanted to be together, and at least they got that. Even though they became hideous fish mutants, uh, but th- but then to go through all of that and say now we're taking the soul of your beloved and putting it in this chest, uh, and you can no longer communicate, you you can no longer be with him. He he's just he just uh, basically paralyzed within this object, and you can just hear his anguished wails. But that's it. Uh, it's pretty bleak, pretty 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 uh, pretty screwed up. And uh, you know, on one hand, I can see why the merfolk and the ancients thought they had to go to such drastic measures. On the other hand, uh, yeesh, yeesh, <laughs> woof. Uh, but, you know, the war continues, uh, and eventually there's a human warrior. This is a different warrior. Yeah, there's actually a this, female This is where I was warrior. confused when the, the tall tales were happening. I was like, oh, there's another warrior. But wait, I thought the war... And, and I was like, no, Heil, you dumb piece of shit. Pay attention. And, and Guess I was like, what? Heil, there's actually three really important characters in ancient lore that are all just called the warrior. <laughs> We're not going to get into one of them today because they're not that relevant to the sirens and the merfolk story. But yeah, it's it's messed up. But this warrior, this is a female warrior. So that helps us to differentiate the two a little. Uh, But there was a warrior that came along that said, I'm going into the sea and I'm going to put an end to this. And uh, they were able to use what are those things called? The uh, the potions that are called the Breath of the Sea. Not to be confused with the Breath of the Wild. Not to be confused with Tears of the Kingdom, which is what the Siren King did. Oh, Tears of the Kingdom because he was put in the chest of the crying. Oh, this is just Zelda. Zelda basically copied Sea of Thieves, I think. Or or maybe Nuts and Bolts, probably. Yeah, so there's a bunch of rare copy people. Take that. But... This warrior, this other warrior, this different warrior, this another different warrior, she uh, uses the Breath of the Sea potion magic and and does a ritual that uh, is able to basically end the sirens by putting all of them into a potentially never-ending slumber, a hibernation, and it came with the cost of them being cursed with the curse of ocean sorrow or whatever the co- curse is called. But um, uh, this was an ancient event that happened. It ended the war. It put all the sirens to sleep. And so for thousands of years, 
the sirens didn't exist. They were in some sort of hibernation in the ocean. Yeah. And uh, when the piracy age of Sea of Thieves begun, at that time, there were no sirens to begin with. That's right. Although the the mermaid statues did pop up long before the sirens started appearing. So I have to wonder what the rationale yeah, there is. Yeah, I'm wondering if it if the... If the awakening of the sirens was more of a long, drawn-out series of of waves of of awakenings rather than... I don't know. That's an interesting question of the lore, but... uh, Yeah. We'll have to ask Mike Chapman at the next E3. Yeah, we'll ask Mr. Chapman about it. But yeah, at some point in the past, before pirates come along... Uh, this is the the war has ended. The sirens are in slumber, but the merfolk started actually to at some point uh, migrate and spread throughout the globe, out into the Caribbean, the Atlantic Ocean, um, Mediterranean, everywhere, out into the rare archipelago. Yeah, and that will set up some of the merfolk stuff we're going to talk about later for other DKU games. Right. Well, and and here's what we know uh, from Sea of Thieves. So at at one point, the ancient society the civilization of, of ancient humans sort of collapses. And we're, we're getting into that lore a little bit more uh, in the Sea of Thieves present day uh, with what's been going on with the adventures. Uh, but the, 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 the ancients go away, uh, basically. It's not, not really germane to this discussion, but they, they seem, seemingly vanish, right? And, and the merfolk are like, our friends, our friends have left us. This hurts after all we've been through. And uh, some of them started uh, going beyond the shroud, trying to seek them out. And this is when merfolk started creeping into uh, society as we know it, folklore as we know it. All of these sightings of fish people wasn't manatees in the DKU. It was actually fish people. And they started setting up um, sort of outposts and offshoot civilizations um, in in the oceans of the Atlantic and the Mediterranean Sea. Boom, bada boom, bada bang, flash forward. Yes. Flash forward to pirate times, because that's where the times are at, you know, pirate times. Uh, in pirate times, human beings returned to the Sea of Thieves as pirates, and it became the Sea of Thieves. It's essentially uh, a safe haven for the life of pirates to live unencumbered, separate from the kind of stresses of the outside world that we're trying to eliminate piracy and, and nail down uh, governments and, and eliminate freedom. But long story short, humans are back in the Sea of Thieves and they once again make contact with the merfolk that inhabit the area. That's right. And this was actually established in the events of Sea of Thieves' Athena's Fortune, the first Sea of Thieves novel by Chris Alcock. It's where uh, the pirate lord, or who would become the pirate lord, Ramsey, and uh, crew member uh, Mercia, they brokered an alliance uh, after Mercia found a pair of enchanted pearl earrings that allowed her to understand the merfolk song and actually communicate with them. And uh, basically, the the merfolk uh, requested their aid. They were a little... Trepidatious. They were a little uncertain because it had been so long since the merfolk of the Sea of Thieves had talked with humans. But 
basically, uh, some other pirates who'd come in had kidnapped a a merperson, were torturing them, and they asked for assistance. And uh, the the crew of the Magpie's Wing, uh, Ramsey's ship, came came to their aid and and freed them and this basically set up the newfound relationship or rekindled relationship between merfolk and humanity in this case uh, ramsey's pirates who were who would eventually flood into the sea of thieves during the events of the game but uh this is where like in the story of the book uh after they rescue the kidnapped mer then they were taken to Old Mother's resting place, the the shackled bones of the Kraken that the merfolk and the ancients had bound long ago and really instigated the war with the sirens. And this from from these magical chains that were still enchanted, they were still just lousy with uh with the Alakazam, Jeff. And they they took this metal and this is where they made all of the uh enchanted metallurgy that's found in Sea of Thieves the uh, crew member of the magpie wing Sean or Shan basically took the metal and made all of the uh chest made the the cannons that pirates can climb into and safely fire themselves out without you know getting their skin burned off and uh, it all came from the chains of uh, Old Mother, which which the merfolk helped facilitate. And the merfolk also showed them how to do some spells, how, how to cast curses. So this relationship would continue to foster and, and bloom and, and provide fruits. And so the deal was made that any pirate who fell overboard into the ocean or was otherwise separated from their ship, could be returned by the merfolk, as well as the merfolk restoring any pirate ship that happens to sink. So it's a really clever way that Rare figured out a a nice workaround for the logical problems that would come up in a pirate video game that's a shared world setting. Like, uh, you know, if my ship leaves without me, uh, how do I get back to them? Or... Do I need to buy a new ship every time my ship sinks? Uh, it's no, because the the merfolk are your get out of the brig free card, right? Oh, the merfolk did it. Uh, oh, oh, your ship sunk. Oh, the merfolk saved it. It's okay. It's fixed. Uh, I, I I think it's clever. Just like the fairy of the damned is a really neat way to get around the concept of death and rebirth in a video game setting that still has to have some logical stakes to it. Having the merfolk do everything else. I like it. Yeah. It's, yeah. They, they have, uh, kind of baked in lore explanations for all of the little gameplay things. Like the devil's shroud itself is just a glorified excuse for why the world has a boundary that you can't go outside of. Right. But there's a deep lore to it. That's explained. Um, with, you know, uh, explanations. So it's great. Love that. That's basically where things are set at the kind of start of Sea of Thieves. And then as Sea of Thieves went on, more new stories started to play out involving the merfolk and the sirens. So uh, here's basically how that kicks off. There was a crew uh, that was captained by a, a, a character named Dimitri who had recovered the ship, the Silver Blade, which was restored by merfolk 
The Silver Blade ship is important in the lore because it was helmed at one point by Captain Flameheart Jr., who, who named the ship uh, after his father's ship, the Burning Blade. And Captain Flameheart and the Burning Blade, they're like the bad guys of the game. Uh, Captain Flameheart's the, the bad guy. And Flameheart Jr. is his son. He goes out, he starts his own ship. It's called the Silver Blade. He gets cursed to become a bad guy, and also his ship sinks. And then the merfolk restore the ship, and this guy, Dimitri, recovers the ship, and they go on a quest. Now, that crew on that ship eventually discovers an ancient vault, a vault of the ancient people, that was housing that chest of everlasting sorrow. This highly significant artifact uh, containing the soul of the king of the sirens. Right. And they take it. They take it out of the vault. They they they're like, hey, we've got this. We don't we don't know what it is, but it's something. So they take it, and it crying incessantly. It's a, it's a chest imbued with a human soul or a, a, a siren soul that is crying and and bellowing. That that sound of that crying undoes the curse that is keeping the sirens asleep. It awakens their slumber from their hibernation. And so the sirens as a malevolent force in the Sea of Thieves are back. This chest woke them up. They chase that crew down. They sink their ship. They steal their ship. They steal. They get the chest back. They build a citadel out of the remains of this cruise ship and just like... They're like, yeah, we're mad. The Siren Queen is mad. She's like, so mad. Um, and so now they're back, and they have beef with humans. They have beef with the merfolks. Um, and they have beef with anyone that wants to sail the Sea of Thieves. Well, I bet Dimitri was like, oopsie doodles. Yeah, that dude didn't even know what was up. He's like, what is this? I don't know. Guess I'll, guess I'll die. Uh, but yeah, so this is about at the same time, actually, that uh Captain Jack Sparrow and uh and and Davy Jones, the notorious villain. Oh yeah, from uh, from from off of our good friend Bob Iger. From off of our good friend the Monkeys band. Um no, sorry, not that David Jones. Sorry, Gen Z. Look it up. <laughs> Ask your grandpa. Uh, but no, so uh, David Jones and Jack Sparrow from Disney Times, they came into the Sea of Thieves through the way of a magical artifact that allowed them to cross dimensions and enter different worlds. And they arrived here in the Sea of Thieves, the DKU world, circa 300 years ago. And... David Jones doesn't like the Sea of Thieves. He doesn't like the idea of pirates that can live forever, always enjoying pirate life, because his whole deal is sort of uh, opposed to that. And so he actually comes in around the same time that the Sirens wake up, and they teamed up. Bad guys teaming up with bad guys. It's a whole thing. So Siren Queen teams up with Davy Jones. She provides him with an army of ocean crawlers. They can do their bidding, which are not that unlike the human sea creature hybrids that are usually inhabiting the flying dutchman ship uh -huh. from davy jones's ship in the pirates of the caribbean films and they go to wage war against the sea of thieves trying to upend the 
way of life for pirates in that world. Uh, they're actually part of a group that was called the Dark Brethren, which were organized to a, a, an organization of villains that all had a similar goal of pooping on our fun, you know, yeah. f- having us our fun. Yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of like the uh, Legion of Doom um, in, in, in the Sea of Thieves, where they're just a, b- a bunch of bad people who came together for different reasons, but they all became disenchanted with either the Pirate Lord or the forces of Flameheart, and they're like, uh, what if there's the third way? Uh, still evil, don't worry, uh, but our kind of evil, where we benefit and so they're 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 pulling the strings, and um, yeah, the Siren Queen, part of that nefarious group, right? She even constructed with the with her Siren forces, um, constructed a coral fortress, like a whole castle, for Davy Jones to use as his home base. Because Davy Jones, uh, I don't know if you watched the films. If you haven't, you should watch them, and then you should go tune into the Conversation podcast where we did an episode evaluating all five of the films. <laughs> uh, we this is a, is a thing that we did, but check it out. And Davy Jones, if you know, if you did watch the films, you know he cannot set foot on dry land. He's not up. He's not allowed up there. He's not allowed to go up there. So the sirens built him a coral fortress made of the of coral, which I guess technically doesn't count as land because it's part of the ocean. Right. So even though he's not submerged in water, he's you know he's allowed. Uh, so that was the thing they did. They teamed up. They tried and failed because me and my pirate buddies kicked their ass. Uh, but yeah, so the, their their plan was thwarted in classic uh storytelling w- format for video game um and and that was uh that was the last we saw of the siren queen no it wasn't unless it wasn't that's right because yeah we, jeff uh, you got to got to keep up i i can't be uh, trusted to to keep all of this nonsense in my head but uh i do know that recently in the game uh there there's this whole murder mystery uh, in Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves is doing these uh, mysteries now, right? And this was the first one. And the mystery, uh, basically, I'm, I'm just going to jump to the ending here because it's not really that important to discuss here. But uh, Ramsey, the ghost of Ramsey, the pirate lord, who, you know, still facilitating things, tried to broker peace with the Siren Queen. And, you know, the last time anybody tried to, you know, broker peace with the Siren Queen, it was it was a nasty trick and things went awry. Uh, but Ramsey, you know, he, he, he tries to do right. He tries to do the right thing. And he wanted to send his son, DeMarco, as kind of a, a, a diplomat, an underwater diplomat. Uh, DeMarco thought this was stupid. He was, he was like, no, no, you're not going to send me. Uh, and he planned to just leave the Sea of Thieves uh, because things weren't going so hot for DeMarco at this time. Uh, his, his arena shut down and, uh... He just wasn't feeling this. Uh, but the Siren Queen killed him anyway, and then tried to frame Ramsey for the crime to get everybody get get everybody to turn against Ramsey and create a civil war in the Sea of Thieves. So basically, you know, she doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting if everybody's just fighting amongst themselves. 
And uh, but anyway, this this revealed that hey, the Siren Queen actually survived the events of Pirate's Life. She's still out there. She's still at odds with Ramsay, the Pirate Lord. Uh, but we don't know if she's still aligned with the Dark Brethren or not. Right, because the Dark Brethren are still up to stuff. They've been doing plots recently. Right. So it's un it's unclear if their faction is still allied with the entirety of siren kind or if they're more of a wild card at this point we don't know there is more than one bad guy in sea of thieves there's a lot going on there's you so much going on every yeah, sunday on the dk vine twitch channel stream of thieves every sunday that's right uh yes but that's that's all we have to say about sea of thieves so if you're just tuning in now and you don't like sea of thieves it's a good time to tune in <laughs> Yeah, you know, all those people who, uh, you know, they, they, they come in around uh, the hour 20 mark of a podcast. Oh, that's when it's really starting to heat up. Let me just skip to that part. <laughs> you know, some people are like, I don't like the preamble. I'll get right into the meat. That's right. I, uh, I want to get yeah. past the human part. I want to get to that luscious mermaid tale. <laughs> so we're skipping past the pirate era of the DK youth circa several well, hundred well, years ago. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be kind of jumping around because we, we mentioned that a bunch of merfolk left the Sea of Thieves in search of their long lost human allies, the ancients. And this is where merfolk kind of entered our folklore, our, our culture throughout the Atlantic, throughout the Caribbean, throughout the Mediterranean Sea, and, and beyond. And in the DKU, we know that the lost civilization of Atlantis, you know, referenced in the writings of Plato, um, it existed actually off the coast of the Isle of Hags, uh, reachable via the bay in Jolly Roger's Lagoon, this was uh, a locale in Banjo-Tooie. And we know that the merfolk had some contact, had some sort of relationship with the Atlanteans. Because as Banjo and Kazooie were swimming down in those depths, we could spot with our little eyes four statues of merfolk, actually mermaids, which looked identical to the one that we met in Donkey Kong 64. Now, I know what you're saying out there. Heil, you stupid asshole. This was clearly the Banjo team just repurposing assets from Donkey Kong 64 because they couldn't be asked to make new ones. And to that I say, yes, you are correct. However, because Diddy Kong Racing established <laughs> this shared universe... Can we not then just draw that connection and say, well, wait a second, that mermaid we met in Donkey Kong 64, there are statues that look just like her in the lost civilization of Atlantis. And uh, I say, stop trying to be such a killjoy. Yes, I know how games are made. And I know that Greg Mails didn't give a shit about the shared universe of Donkey Kong. But you know what? Other people did it rare. So you know what? I'm going to keep doing my thing. You're not going to rain on my parade. You're not going to spread this whispering plague to me and shut me up. I'm going to keep singing my song. 
It's a very empowering yeah. moment for me, Jeff. You should be proud. It was very empowering. I was, I was, uh, I was like, I get chills on my arms. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but this this does, I think, clearly, you know, uh, as folklore and mythology has developed, and as the stories we've told have been regurgitated through the the gutter of pop culture in in the 20th century and 21st century merfolk have been associated with the concept of Atlantis. Like, nowhere in Plato's writings did he say, yeah, they had a great relationship with fish people. But we decided that makes sense. This this uh, ocean-dwelling advanced civilization, of course the fish people would reach out to them. Of course. So, you know, a lot of depictions and a lot of media, you'll often see merfolk. And, and some stories the people of atlantis actually became merfolk but not in the dku nor nor in disney's atlantis a great film by disney who uh just paid me 47 cents to say that that's right you can stream atlantis on disney plus i don't know if you knew that jeff disney plus is a great service yeah uh, if you want to watch Willow on Disney Plus, then you cannot because they removed it. But really, yeah, they, yeah. wait, they straight up did. They straight up removed Willow because they're like, you know, we're offering too much top quality content too on much. Disney Plus. But you can still get Atlantis, which stars Michael J. Fox. He's good in that movie. He's real good. I love that guy. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the merfolk had some sort of relationship with Atlantis before it sank. And what do we know about Atlantis in the DKU? Well, well, not much. But we do know that there was also a rival civilization in the Rare Archipelago called Kremlantis. And yes, Kremlantis is a very stupid name. You can blame Paul Makachek for that one. But Kremlantis was this contemporaneous rival seafaring advanced civilization that stretched from Crocodile Isle and Donkey Kong Island, or the future Donkey Kong Island, to, at the very least, the Northern Cremosphere. But we do know, thanks to Sea of Thieves, yeah, we're bringing that up again, that uh, they made their way as far north and as far west as the Nile River, uh, if what the Golden Nile set descriptions from the game are implying are indeed the Kremlins, which I do believe they are. So, uh, Atlantis and Kremlantis were probably magnificent rivals, right? And we know that the merfolk sided with the Atlanteans. Now, we don't know if the Kremlins were responsible for the sinking of Atlantis. That's nowhere in the literature. That would just be conjecture. But this all seemingly predated the rise of the Kongs, and the shrinking of the Kremlantis Empire. You know, the Kongs eventually took Donkey Kong Island, uh, and then the Bears took the Northern Kremosphere, and Kremlantis itself partially submerged, as seen in Donkey Kong Land. So, uh, if the merfolk ever aligned with the Kongs and Bears, or met them, that's unknown. We just know that they had some sort of arrangement with the Atlanteans. It probably reminded them of uh, the ancients from the Sea of Thieves. So, that's sweet. Yeah. But, but. what about, what about, uh, if we flash forward to modern today, though? 
That's right. So if the merfolk are residing in the rare archipelago, then where? Because we saw the one in Donkey Kong 64, but it was just this really like weird encounter that Tiny Kong had. But where would the merfolk call themselves home? Because they didn't move into the sunken ruins of Atlantis. They, they never lived in Atlantis. So where were the merfolk hold up? Now, this is the opinion of me, and by that nature, DK Vine. I'm just going to say it. But I surmise that Seabreeze Cove, first seen in Retro Studios' Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, might actually be the home of the merfolk who left the Sea of Thieves. Now, I know what you're saying. Heil, you stupid asshole. Retro Studios made Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. You're trying to tie all of this rare lore that came after Tropical Freeze to Tropical Freeze? Shut up. Shut up and go shill for Disney. You have lost your Donkey Kong journalism credentials. But look... We know that there's a mermaid in Donkey Kong 64. That establishes the link right there. And I think Seabreeze Cove only makes sense if you look at it as the home of merfolk. Why? Because the way it's portrayed is it's the sunken civilization, but its architecture makes zero sense if it ever existed above the ocean. It only makes sense if it was built to be underwater for those who perpetually swim. I don't, I don't know when the last time you played Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze was, Jeff, uh, either for the Wii U or this the morning. Switch. This morning. Oh, great. You did your homework. No, I didn't. I lied. Oh, because you were sucking Total down lie. the chili dog. At the, I, was, at I, the had, I had to launch a dock in the water. That's right. <laughs> Shoot. Which I don't know why Lake Michigan relies on you to, to build their docks, but... I wasn't I didn't on know... Lake Michigan. I was on a little lake, and not Lake Michigan. But oh, okay. I was in my own little lake. But look, thing is, Chocolate Freeze, it's a good game. We like it. But do we love it? Yes. <laughs> so, so does it tie into Sea of Thieves lore with mermaids? Yes. Because Sea Breeze Cove, none of it makes sense. None of it unless, makes sense if you look at the architecture as this was a civilization that existed above the ocean like Atlantis. It's all built to exist, much like the architecture of the merfolk and the sirens in Sea of Thieves. And you even have a lot of structures that are like imbued with coral. Right. It's clearly built by a society that lives underwater. Now, is it a Metroid? Did a Metroid make it? I don't know. I never played Metroid. I don't know what Metroids can do. But there is a Metroid in this area, but maybe that's not relevant to this conversation. So let's just set the Metroid aside. Our friend Shane uh, Marches actually was the one who discovered the Metroid Easter egg in Seabreeze Cove. But look, we know Samus crashed her ship uh, in nearby Lost Mangrove, so I'm sure a Metroid like was affixed to her window or something and then fell in the sea breeze cove and it's it's still swimming in there it's fine right i don't think it was built by a metroid i don't know what a metroid can build but it looks definitely like it for sure was built by the same kind of merfolk from the sea of thieves history and this makes a lot more sense 
when you look at the level Rock and Relics. Do you remember Rock and Relics, Jeff? It's a level, right? It's a <laughs> good job. You really know how to connect the dots there. You're <laughs> regular Sherlock from, from Tropical Freeze. That's right. Yeah, Rock and Relics has all of these uh, aforementioned relics, and they look very similar to some of the architecture you would see in Sea of Thieves. In fact, architecture possibly built by the ancients. So I like to think that the merfolk were inspired by their long-lost human brethren and sisters in the Sea of Thieves and incorporated some of their architectural influences when constructing Seabreeze Cove. So I don't know, that warms the cockles of your heart if you uh, really want to draw those connections. But yeah, right. my argument is that Seabreeze Cove is where the merfolk of the rare archipelago live. And we know that there are merfolk living, at the very least, as late as 1999 in the rare archipelago, because we met one. Tiny Kong met one in the world gloomy galleon from off of Donkey Kong 64. And this is actually the very first merfolk, merperson, in the DKU, and and we call her Pearl. She was never given a name in the game, like a lot of Donkey Kong 64's cast was never given a name because George Andreas just did not care. He just wanted to get the game done by November, so Nintendo wouldn't be mad at them. Uh, they didn't. They didn't name all of these wacky NPCs that they came up with that at the time didn't really fit Donkey Kong all that well. It's like. Put in a mermaid in the game? Come on. What is this? Uh, but we called her Pearl because uh, she's upset that the Kremlings stole her pearls. That's a, that's a good reason yeah. for the, for, to have that name. Uh, so she seems to be some sort of merfolk princess because she's got the little tiara on her head. Similar to a Disney princess. And, you know, th- th- there's, what, what's your favorite Disney princess, Jeff? I'd say The Little Mermaid coming soon to Disney theaters. Well, I got great news. It's out now in Disney. It's out now. Actually, theaters theaters everywhere, not even the ones owned by Disney. Should see it. It's got a small mermaid. (laughs) Not too dissimilar from Pearl from off of Donkey Kong 64. So, look. It's basically DKU. Tiny Kong. You know, she can shrink herself down, as the song goes. And she does that via, via, crystal coconuts. So she swims through this gap in, in a seabed wall. And she meets this mer-princess. Just just sitting on this uh, clam coral throne. And, and uh, I've actually transcribed Pearl's dialogue for you, Jeff. So are we gonna do a line reading? I think I think I I don't want to hog the glory. So I think uh, you should read the first line when when Tiny first encounters. We're gonna keep calling her Pearl just for ease. Uh, right. I don't I don't yeah. want to just call her the mermaid from Alpha Donkey Kong sixty four. We're gonna call her Pearl. Why don't you read the first Pearl line? I'll follow it up with the second, and you can uh, you you can finish it off. Okay, so Pearl, she says, yeah. Can you believe it, Tiny? 
The reptile stole my precious pearls. Lock them inside a giant treasure chest. I know you're real busy, but please try to get them back. Yeah, that wow. That just sounded so elegant. It, that's how that's how a mermaid might talk. Sounded a, like royalty. Some scenario. Sounded like fish royalty there, Jeff. So basically what Tiny has to do then, she she leaves Pearl's little chamber. And Pearl's crying. She's boo-hoo-hooing. So Tiny Tiny's like, oh shit, I have to help this mermaid out now. So and I'm sure this was thrilling for Tiny, because I'm sure Tiny had the little mermaid on VHS, you know. And she's like, oh, my God, I just met a real live mermaid. Uh, I can't wait to tell the others. Dixie's going to be so jealous. But she leaves. She goes to this treasure chest and she has to shrink herself down into the treasure chest. This is what Tiny Kong does. It's okay. And uh, she finds that the Kremlings have stuffed pearls, pearls inside clambos. Giant clam, and these are really ugly clambos. They don't look as good as the ones from Donkey Kong Country, but they're clambos. And Tiny takes the pearls from the clambos' mouth, and she takes them back to Pearl. This is basically what Donkey Kong 64 is. It's people, it's just just idiots saying, oh no, I've misplaced my thing, or I need you to do this thing for me, or I need you to beat me in a race. And the Kong is being like, okay. And, then, and anyway, so Pearl says... Ooh, my lovely pearls. I hope this golden banana will do us for reward. Yeah, I thought you were going to try and copy my one so that I didn't consistent. like yours. You didn't like mine? I'll I do the I next like... line. I'll do the next line the same. You'll like it that time. All right. What's what's the what's the final line we ever got from Pearl? Pearl says, she's like, my pearls are safe now, but I am sure they're get stolen again. Those thieving reptiles. So, what, what, what we can gleam from this is that Pearl is familiar with the Kremlin. She calls them the reptiles. So she's kind of casually speciesist here. Uh, but, but she's had run-ins with them before. She doesn't like them much, and she knows she'll have run-ins with them again. Right. Implied history, folks. Implied history between the merfolk and the Kremlins, which says to me that, yeah, maybe they did aid Atlantis in in this uh, this at least Cold War with Kremlantis. I don't know. When I write the book on Donkey Kong, I'll put it in there. They probably call it the Cold War, but they spell it with a K. That's what, <laughs> That's what the Kremlins do. Because they just take all of our stuff and they put Ks in it. So... We have we have to address this, Jeff, because people are going to say, gotcha, you stupid assholes. This seeming discontinuity of Pearl, the mermaid Pearl from Donkey Kong 64, with what was established later on with Sea of Thieves. So, yeah, yeah, obviously the Sea of Thieves team, they weren't going to constrain themselves with whatever Donkey Kong 64 and Banjo-Tooie established with mermaids. Yeah, Sea of Thieves does tie itself into the broader shared rare universe. Brings up stuff from Donkey Kong, where they can get away with it. Brings up Banjo-Kazooie, Conker, Viva Pinata, you know, Cameo. Goes hog wild, right? Um, but the, the Sea of Thieves team wasn't going to say, well, hold on. Now, we, had, we introduced a mer person in Donkey Kong 64, so it probably should look like her. Right, we we don't we don't want to put our own spin on it. They weren't going to do that. So, you know, I, I think if you squint, 
just enough. You can say, well, Pearl looks far more human than the uh, bluish or greenish or pinkish skin merfolk of Sea of Thieves. Uh, Pearl is what Christopher Columbus imagined when he was having sex with that manatee, right? Right, right, sex-wise. But the thing, I think, is that we already established that, one, there's a time gap. There is a time gap. You have to accept that the gap of time. But also, there is the in-lore fact that we've already seen Merfolk be able to be mutated into other forms. Um, And, you know, uh, when a species migrates between uh, different places, they're they're going to eventually take on different physical uh, looks. Also, maybe human beings in the Merfolk crossbred over the generations to eventually the merfolk in that part of the world looked more human-like. Well, don't tell the Siren Queen that. If it was that easy, it would have saved her a right. lot of trouble. So, yeah, you know, and I, I think, you know, it, it's fine. Pearl is a more cartoony take. Uh, sea of Thieves has a more cartoony realism to it. If, if you squint, they can be of the same species. And like you said, you know, the, the merfolk left the Sea of Thieves and maybe over the centuries, uh, they they sort of uh, developed this, this new form. We don't know. We don't know. It'll probably never come up, let's be honest. But there is also the issue that uh, Pearl can communicate with Tiny Kong freely because we already established in Sea of Thieves that... The only uh, human who could really commune that we know of with the merfolk was Mercia because she had those pearl earrings. Actually, she's not the only she's not the only character in Sea of Thieves lore to ever come into contact with magic earrings that no. let her communicate no. because no. there was another. But yeah, uh, diving bell, diving right. bell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, I, I checked. Tiny Kong does not wear wear pearl earrings. She when she becomes a teenager, she has big. Uh, like hoop earrings, not pearl earrings. I checked. I, I, I looked at her. But here's my fan wankery suggestion. And you, you can take this if you please. If you don't like it, you can come up with your own. But Tiny Kong could probably communicate with Pearl because she had the power of the crystal coconuts surging through her. And you need at least one crystal coconut to get into Pearl's chamber. So the magical properties may be enough to bridge the gap. And, well, we already talked about mermaid gems. We know that the the merfolk have these magical gems and crystals. Why can't crystal coconuts be a mer treasure that they brought over to Donkey Kong Island? And the Kongs called them crystal coconuts because that's their frame of reference. But they're just another form of mermaid gem. Yeah, why not? Well, you know, if you don't like that, like I said, Jeff, you can tell me to shut the hell up and you can come up with something better. That's the best I can do. I like it. If you want to tell Heil to shut the hell up, email us at email.com slash donkeykongheil and just let us know. But that's our, <laughs> that's what we're thinking and we're sticking to it. I feel like I need to put smelling salts underneath your nose, Jeff. I feel like I feel I feel like the whispering plague is claiming. I feel like we're speaking different languages as this episode it's the, drags on. It's the it's the time zone uh, gap. No time zone gap between us, audience. <laughs> Not between look- you and me, but between me and where my brain is at. <laughs> 
Nope. Well, I've got good news for you, Jeff. We are wrapping up. Uh, because there's only one more encounter with Merfolk in the core DKU. And that is, you better believe it. Don't say Mr. Pants. Don't say Mr. Pants. Don't say Mr. Pants. It's Mr. Pants. I had to say it because that's what the answer was. Mr. Pants! (laughs) Uh, Mr. Pants encountered a merfolk in his game, It's Mr. Pants. Well, so Mr. Pants, we learn a great deal about his world travels. He's a jet setter. He's He's a debonair international man of mystery, that Mr. Pants. He gets around, and because he's such a charming bedeviling disarming figure all the freaks come out to meet mr pants when he's around and mr pants we know he's been to the rare archipelago we we know that you know at one point he met birdie from off of conquer's bad fur day he made a puzzle based on birdie he met banjo at one point and he met a mermaid and we, we we know this because there is artwork in It's Mr. Pants that you can unlock uh, of all of Mr. Pants' travels. And in what, one of the pieces of artwork you can unlock, it is the mermaid that Mr. Pants not only met, but befriended. And of course, Mr. Pants also befriended an extraterrestrial in outer space that he named Pluto Pants. And we Dustin and I talked about this last season on our extraterrestrials episode. But what Mr. Pants does when he makes a new friend is he takes one of his signature pairs of red Y-front briefs and he sticks it on that person and he gives them a Pants-related name. You will be Pluto Pants. He did the same to this mermaid and he said uh, he stuck the Y-front underwear on the mermaid's tail. It's the only way he could fit it on her. And he said, you shall be Pants." And so it shall be and they became friends and at the end of the game you get this piece of artwork of all of mr pants close-knit friends and family hanging out on a little tropical island together and uh you've even got mer pants there in the water waving hello and uh you know what i think is fascinating about mer pants and this is probably the only time in history anybody's ever said this and it will probably be the last time what I find fascinating about Merpants from off of It's Mr. Pants, the beloved puzzle game that 12 people have played, is that she looks quite a bit like the storage merfolk you encounter in Sea of Thieves. Uh, so, so they introduced this type of merfolk in Sea of Thieves once they introduced the, um, the Sunken Kingdom and all of these uh, shrines and treasuries that you could plunder. And you could store treasures in these um, storage statues, and then the merman or mermaid would retrieve them for you above the water near your ship. And these, to differentiate them from the ones who can return you to your ship, they have a more purplish hue to their skin. And wouldn't you know it, so does merpants. It all comes together. I like to think that even when they were making It's Mr. Pants, they said, you know, we need to start thinking about the potentiality that we're going to make a pirate game one day. And we're going to have to have different types of merfolk in the game. 
Better give her purple skin. That's what we're going to do with the storage merfolk. I like to think this, but uh, the truth we is... We're not mentally ill. No, I, well, I am, but I make it work for me. I made it my career, Jeff, and uh, I'm proud of that. It's, it's not about going down the uh, the conventional path. You know, trailblazers, they're not followers, and I'm a trailblazer, Jeff. A lot of trailblazers cross the ocean and, and just try to, like, fuck manatees or whatever. This has been a File 2 production. Qué rico.